Hello there, and welcome to this week's episode of What You May Have Missed. We were in Norway last week and have stayed in Europe for this whole series so far, but we are finally making our way out of it. Well, kind of. Technically, we're heading somewhere that crosses both Europe and Asia. This week, we are in Turkey. here before, but it was in disguise. The Series 1 double bill finale was about the War of Troy, and although it is a Greek legend story, pretty much all the action takes place in Turkey. But today's tale is very different to that of the War of Troy, in the fact that there are no legendary heroes, and that there are lots of dragons. But before we get stuck in, Remember that any questions you may have whilst listening can be fired to me on TikTok and Instagram, or ping me an email to themythspodcast at gmail.com. Okay, let's get stuck into this dragony tale from Turkey. Enjoy. The Black Dragon and the Red Dragon Once upon a Thursday, there lived a ruler who had the rather disastrous misfortune to lose each and every one of his children the moment they turned seven years old. Forty children had been born to him, and forty children he had lost on their seventh birthday. As you can probably imagine, he was very upset about this. If but one could have been spared to me, it would have been better that I never had any children to start with than suffer this grief for the rest of my days. And one night, the sadness became too much, and so he left his palace and began to wander. Not to anywhere in particular, just wherever his two feet carried him. When dawn arrived, he had ventured quite away from his palace, and he found himself by a spring. He was on the cusp of kneeling down for a drink when he noticed what at first he thought was a cloud, but when it drew nearer, he realised it was actually a flock of birds, around forty of them. No, exactly forty of them. They landed in the spring in front of him, and all began to drink deeply. But then one of the birds turned to the ruler. We have never known our mother or father. We must drink water from the mountain to sustain ourselves. Even when their thoughts stray to us, they cannot know where we are. And then, without a farewell, they took off into the sky and disappeared. Despite his alarm at coming across talking birds, the ruler felt a deep sorrow for these poor creatures, and he said to himself, Those poor beings, it would seem that even small creatures such as they grieve over the absence of their parents. He sat by the spring a while, until eventually, having wandered for the entire night, his exhaustion overcame him, and he fell asleep against the trunk of a tree, his mind on the birds and his own lost children. As he slept, he dreamt, and in his dream he saw a hermit approaching him. The ruler offered the hermit a place at his side by the tree, and told him about why he was sat there in the first place. But it so happened that the hermit knew of the ruler's children, and said to him, 
dear ruler, I fear you have been misled. You do not see your children, but they do see you. The birds that have just passed here, the forty that drank from that spring, they were your children, sir. They were taken by the Peris, and now make their home a year away from this place. They can fly to the palace and back into your heart, but they will not, for they fear the Peris above all. But there is hope. When you leave here, drink from the spring, just like those birds did, and your children shall be restored to you. The next thing the ruler knew, he was awake and alone at the base of the tree. Now, if you're anything like myself, then you probably don't remember many details about your dream. And so it wasn't with the ruler. It was one of those dreams that are remembered vividly. So he took himself to the spring and knelt down to drink. But to his surprise, and indeed horror, the water that had been flowing was now running thick and red. It had become blood. He wondered if he was still asleep, so he looked up into the sky, only to feel the warmth of the sun on his face. He was definitely awake then. He remembered the words of the hermit, and so, closing his eyes, he drank as though it were water before rising to his feet and continuing on his way. He crested a hill, and then he stopped quite abruptly. Standing a distance away, he saw what appeared to be a great army ready for battle. He knew not whether they were friend or foe, but he approached, albeit cautiously. Then, when he was close enough, he realised that this was not an army of men, but dragons. Dragons of all sizes, although the smallest was actually the size of a camel. How he didn't clock they were dragons before, when they're absolutely massive, is a bit bizarre, but there we go. Oh dear, I thought sorcery was but a dream, nothing real. If I go on I shall surely be devoured or roasted alive, but they must have seen me, so there is no escape for me. But these dragons were all newborn, many no more than three days old, and, he realised, they all had their eyes still shut. All that was keeping them together and stopping them from wandering away from the pack was their instinct. He was in luck, and so he managed to skirt around the dragons without being attacked. Night fell, and the ruler found himself walking through the mountains. He was just keeping an eye out for a comfortable-looking tuft to rest himself when a blood-curdling cry rent the air, making him freeze where he stood. The dragon mother had lost her children. He knew he was lucky to have avoided the attention of the newborns, but this was a full-grown dragon. She had sniffed him out in moments, and before he knew it a great shadow was over him, and the dragon mother landed in front of him with a crash that shook the mountains. The ruler was paralysed with fear, his arms and legs unwilling to work. At last I have thee. My young ones have fared ill at thy hands. Thou shalt not escape, thou who hast slain a thousand of my offspring. I have not... I have not harmed your young ones, great dragon mother. I am no dragon hunter. I have seen them, though I can show you to them if you desire. If thou speakest the truth, returned the dragon mother, take me to my children. The ruler explained to the dragon mother where he had seen her young, hoping that she would believe him and leave him in peace. But no. Without warning, the dragon mother turned the ruler into a tobacco box, picked him up, and took off into the sky, flying in the direction he had indicated. 
and thankfully for the ruler, the young dragons were still there, safe and sound. The dragon mother managed to herd her children in the direction she told them home was, the ruler still with her in the shape of a tobacco box, and after a short while they came upon a fortress with a great and beautiful courtyard at its heart. The dragon mother then changed the ruler back into his human form, placed him on the ground, and said, There is clearly no evil intent in your heart, so tell me, child of men, why have you come this way? So the ruler told the dragon mother his story. The matter can be easily rectified. All thy children are in the hyacinth kiosk. The place is a good distance away, and if you go alone you will not succeed in reaching it. After crossing the mountain you will come to a desert where my brother lives. His children are bigger than mine, and know the place well. Go to him, present my compliments, and ask him to escort you to the hyacinth kiosk. Then she left him and went to her children. Crossing the mountains took a long, long time, but eventually he reached the far side and found himself a few miles from another fortress. Stuttgart outside this fortress, however, was yet another dragon, greater by far in size to the dragon mother. It was so vast that even from far away it seemed as though it was but a foot away. The ruler very carefully stepped closer to the dragon. He could see that its eyes were shut, but from beneath the lids he could see the thin line of burning orange, surely powerful enough to incinerate anyone who might come near. Again the ruler thought that at last his end might be upon him, but being rather brave he shouted up to the dragon the greeting from his sister. And the dragon opened his eyes and it seemed to the ruler that the entire world was on fire, such was the stare from his gaze. Unable to bear the blaze for more than but a moment, the ruler fled and ran all the way through the mountains back to the dragon mother. Oh yes, I forgot to tell you that I am called the black dragon, my brother the red dragon. How silly of me. Go back and say that the black dragon sends greetings. As my name is known to no one, my brother will recognise that I have sent you. Then he will turn his back towards you, and you can approach him without danger. But beware of getting in front of him, or you will become a victim of the fiery glances of his eyes. The ruler wasn't overly joyed at the prospect of venturing through the mountains a third time, but for his children he would do anything. He returned to the red dragon, and called out as he approached. Your sister, the black dragon, sends greetings. At the mention of his sister's name, the beast turned his back on him. He approached the dragon and gave his request to him to be his escort to the hyacinth kiosk. The dragon did not say anything, but he lashed his tail round like a whip and struck the earth so hard that the mountains were in danger of crumbling. When the earth settled, the ruler spotted another large dragon approaching, its eyes glowing with fire. This dragon also turned his back toward the ruler. Then the red dragon spoke. My son, if you would enter the hyacinth kiosk, you must call out, The red dragon has sent me. On this a man will appear, but it is not truly a man. This is the very Perry that had robbed you of your children. When he asks what it is you want, tell him that the great dragon demands possession of the largest 
of the stolen children. If he refuses, ask for the smallest. If again he refuses, tell him the Red Dragon demands himself. Say no more, but return here in peace. The ruler clambered onto the back of the dragon which the Red Dragon had summoned, and they took flight. It wasn't long before the ruler spotted the Hyacinth kiosk, and from the dragon's back he called, Greetings from the Red Dragon! Immediately a robed man appeared, grasping an enormous club in his hand. Stepping out into the air, he inquired as to what was going on. The Red Dragon demands the largest of the stolen children. The largest is ill, answered the Perry. Then send the smallest to him. He has gone to fetch water. If that is so, the Red Dragon demands you yourself. The man-slash-Perry said nothing, but turned and walked into the hyacinth kiosk. The ruler returned to the Red Dragon and told him all that had passed. Then the man arrived, a club in either hand, long wooden shoes on his feet, and a very tall hat towering on his head. Seeing him, the Red Dragon said, Well, well, my dear Hyacintha, you have the children of this ruler. Be good enough to deliver them up. I have a request to make, replied the Perry, and if the ruler will grant it, I will gladly give him his children back again. Ten years ago, I stole the son of a certain other ruler, and when he was twelve years old, he was taken away from me by an evil woman named Porsook. Every day she sends the boy to the spring for water, gives him an ash cake to eat, and compels him to drink a glass of human blood. If I can but regain possession of this youth, I desire nothing more, for never in the whole world have I ever seen such a handsome lad. This poor Sook has a son who loves me, and evil has been done me because I will not adopt him in place of the stolen boy. I am aware that the children of this ruler are brave and handsome, and I stole them to mitigate my sufferings. Let him but fulfil my wish, and I will fulfil yours. Having uttered this speech, the man-slash-Perry turned and left. The Red Dragon turned to the ruler. My friend, fear not. This poor suck is not particularly valiant, though she is skilled in sorcery. She cannot be vanquished by magic, but it is her custom, on one day in the year, to work no magic. Therefore on that day she may be overcome. You will be able to retake the child without her realising anything has happened. One month you must wait, during which I will discover the exact day, and then inform you. The ruler agreed to this, and so the Red Dragon dispatched some of his remaining sons to discover the precise day on which Porsuk worked no magic. And when they discovered the date, they duly flew back and informed the ruler. They also told him something else, something very important that none of them had known beforehand. On the day that Porsuk did not use magic, she always slept. When you arrive, the child she keeps will come to fetch the water from the spring. Take his cap off his head and set it on your own. He will be unable to move from where he stands, and so you will be able to do what you want with him. 
The Red Dragon sent his sons to escort the ruler, bade them wait for him until his task was done, and then return him safely. When they arrived at the place, the ruler and the dragons hid and waited for the child to come and fetch the water. The child came to the spring, and quick as a flash the ruler ran from his hiding place and snatched the hat off the child and placed it on his own head. The child was stopped dead in his tracks. He looked round to see what had happened to his hat, only to be snatched up by one of the dragons and carried off back to the red dragon with the ruler in tow. Striking the earth with his whip-like tail again, the red dragon brought the hyacinth man to him. As soon as he caught sight of the boy, he sprang towards him and embraced him, expressing his deep gratitude to the dragons and the ruler who had brought him back. The hyacinth man clapped his hands and stamped his feet on the ground, and the forty birds from the beginning of our story flew up, twittering merrily. Taking a flask from his belt, the man sprinkled them with the liquid it contained, and in a blink the birds were transformed into forty lovely girls and handsome boys. "'Now, my ruler,' said the man, "'behold your sons and daughters. Take them and be happy, and pardon me from the suffering I have caused you.' Had anyone begged the ruler's most expensive treasure at that moment, it would have been given to him, so overwhelmed with joy was the monarch at recovering his children. He freely pardoned the hyacinth man, and would have rewarded him had there been anything he desired. The ruler now bade goodbye to the red dragon, but at their moment of parting the red dragon pulled out a hair from behind his ear and gave it to the ruler, saying, Take this, and when in trouble of any sort, break it in two, and I will hasten to your aid. So the ruler and his children set out, and in due course arrived at the home of the black dragon. She also took a hair from behind her ear and presented it to the ruler with the following advice. Marry your children at once, and if on their wedding day you shall air them with this hair, then forevermore they shall be saved from the power of Porsuk. The ruler thanked the black dragon deeply, bade her goodbye, and they all continued on their way. During the journey, the ruler entertained his children by relating his story, and then he listened to those of his sons and daughters. But then a great storm made itself known, blowing so violently all around them that they feared for their lives. At that moment one of the ruler's daughters exclaimed, Father, I have heard the hyacinth man say that whenever Porsuk passes she is accompanied by a storm such as this. I believe it is she who is now passing and no other. With this information the ruler knew the only way to keep his family safe. Collecting his courage he drew forth the hair of the red dragon, and broke it in two. Porsuk at once fell down from the sky with a crash, and at the same moment the red dragon came up, swinging and cracking his tail. Porsuk was found to have broken her arms and smashed her face, so that she was quite incapable of inflicting further mischief that day. The ruler was still terrified, though, that he might lose one of his children again, but the red dragon reassured him. Fear not. Take this whip. It shall assist you. The ruler accepted it, and as he cracked it, he felt himself being hauled into the air. Coming back down to earth again, he found himself just outside the gates of his own capital city. Now you are safe, said the red dragon, and he disappeared. 
At the sight of the domes and towers and familiar walls of their birthplace, they all, ruler and children both, fell to their knees and wept in joy. Since the ruler had left his palace, he hadn't realised it, but continual doom and gloom had reigned supreme. But now, seeing the ruler and his children return, all the people of the city came onto the streets to celebrate their arrival. The ruler's wife went down the whole line, embracing and kissing her beautiful sons and daughters, and the delighted ruler ordered seven days and seven nights of merrymaking and frivolities in honour of the occasion. These festivities were scarcely over when wives for the ruler's sons and husbands for his daughters were sought and found, and then commenced forty days and forty nights of revelry in celebration of the grand wedding. I can imagine many a sore head was being anticipated after this sesh. Unfortunately, on the wedding day, what with all the drinking and eating and partying, the ruler forgot to fumigate them all with the black dragon's hair, with the result that as soon as the ceremony was over, rain began to fall in a torrent, and the wind blew so fiercely that nothing could withstand it. At first the ruler thought it was merely a great storm, but then he remembered Porsuk, and he cried out in terror. Hearing the shout, the wedding guests, including the newly wedded princes and princesses, came in to see what was the matter. The frightened ruler gave the black dragon's hair to his vizier and commanded him to burn it immediately. No one understood the order, and all thought the ruler must have lost his wits. Nevertheless, his wish was obeyed, and the hair burnt. At once a fearful howling was heard in the garden outside, and Porsuk cried with a loud voice, Thou hast burnt me, O ruler. Henceforth in thy garden shall no blade of grass grow. Next morning it was seen that every tree and flower in the garden was scorched, as though a conflagration had raged over the scene. The ruler, however, did not allow this loss to trouble him. After all, he had his children again with him, and that joy eclipsed any ordinary misfortunes that might befall him. No further danger was to be feared, and thus the ruler and his family, with their husbands and wives, lived happily together until the end of their days. Who doesn't love a good dragon story? That's our second one already in this series, and I hope you enjoyed it. You may have picked up that this series is focusing more on smaller folklore stories and the lesser-known and untold legends at the moment, and it is going to stay that way for a little while. But don't worry, there are more of the larger and epic myths and legends on their way as well. Now remember that after this series there will be short weekly episodes coming out about everything from myth to history, so drop me a message if you'd like to hear a particular tale. Now all that is left for me to say is goodbye, and you will hear me next week for the halfway point of this series of What You May Have Mythed.